welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. It's common enough that it's a comedic trope. How did the strict father become the doting grandfather? Kindred Hope Church planner Howard Brown continues the Hebrews 12 series, Unshakable Kingdom, with this sermon entitled The Shake of the Unshakable Kingdom, which covers Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. As we continue in our Unshakable Kingdom series, as we walk through the the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we uh, are in for a special treat this morning to hear from my dear friend, Howard Brown, and and, uh, let me tell you a little bit about him, but before I do, I'm going to tell you that uh, in the first service when we were standing up here together, I got back to my seat and one of my dear loving friends was telling me how much cooler Howard's shoes are than mine. So, um, you know, I think he's right. Um, I actually have a pair of Jordans at home, but... um, I just have this feeling that if I preached to them, it just would look weird, right? But you, you look awesome, man. You look great. Yeah. I got to step up my little game. A little, little bit of time. A little bit of time. Step up Air my game. Air Force Ones, Jordans there next. There we go. There we go. Gotcha. I need you to coach me. Can you coach you got me? Gotcha. Okay. Got All right. Um, Howard, you, you may remember us introducing you to Howard and Kelly. Kelly's sitting right over here. Uh, introduced them to you a few months back earlier this year. Uh, Howard is our newest church planter, and uh, he comes with a wealth of experience, uh, both in preaching but in leading churches. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then uh, I'll be telling you a little bit later about how you can learn and know more about um, the, the church that they're planting south of Atlanta. So uh, first, Howard has been a part of our denomination for a long time. He's been an ordained minister in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, He's a graduate of Covenant Seminary. He got his undergrad at Clemson. Any Clemson fans in here? Yeah, okay, all right, that's enough. Um, I specifically asked him to not wear orange. Um, No, he, uh, so they, uh, let me tell you, let me go way back with them and uh, into, into, I think the 90s, right? Was when you first started in, down in Fayetteville, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so take you back a little while. Uh, so um, he was the assistant pastor of a church, uh, of church planning at Redemption Fellowship in Fayetteville, Georgia, which was also a plant of Perimeter Church way back in the day. And then he pastored Forest Park Presbyterian in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, but in 2003, he and Kelly pursued a vision to establish a multi-ethnic church um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Howard planted and served as the senior pastor of Christ Central Church for 20 years. And then the Lord uh, began to stir in various ways and long story short, ended up back here in Atlanta, connected with us, planting kindred hope in the city of South Fulton. And uh, there's so much I want you to learn about what they're doing and you'll have opportunity to do that. Uh, Their family, quickly, Howard and Kelly have two sons, Harrison who's 21 and Clark who's 19. And uh, we are just absolutely delighted to partner with you, brother and uh, all that God has in store for your church in the years to come and our partnership together. But we're excited to hear from you this morning. So let me pray for you, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for Howard and Kelly. Thank you for leaving them back here. Thank you for what you're planning and preparing for them in South Fulton. And thank you for the opportunity that we have to come alongside them 
Encourage them, send them. Lord, in every way, would you anoint this work unto your glory. And for this morning, would you use Howard, as you did in the first service, use him again to speak your truth unto our hearts and minds for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. As Howard prepares to preach, we're going to prepare our hearts for the reading of God's word as Sandy Huffmaster comes to read from Hebrews chapter 12. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. No, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer of illumination this morning. That's up on the screen. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly fall before your majesty and ask that the seed of your word now sown among us may take such deep root that persecution may not uproot it, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it. Instead, as seed sown in good ground, may I bring forth 30, 60, and a hundredfold as your heavenly wisdom has appointed Thank you so much, Jeff, for that um, introduction, Um, and it's my pleasure to be with you today, um, to be able to be a part of this series. You talked about God stirring us to be, uh, to plant in South Fulton. Actually, God stirred Kelly, my wife, and then sitting over there, and then she stirred me, Um, and so... uh, Sometimes the vision, you know, comes to the wife first, and then we got to be obedient to God speaking through them, and then great things happen, right? We continue in our series, The Unshakable Kingdom, from the 12th chapter of Hebrews. In this chapter and book, and what was written to be an encouragement to followers of Jesus. Who, who, like us, are feeling the pinch, possibly, of, on one side, religious, church-friendly fire and bullying, and on the other side, the added irreligious tr- mistreatment of an unbelieving and unrelenting and fallen world, all of which can make it hard to believe that there are any advantages to being, or for some of us in here, becoming a believer. Why? I mean, why would you want, 
to endure or sign up for a religion, for a faith, to follow something that looks like it's going to fail. Well, God knew uh, we, just like those who received this letter, would struggle with and be shaken by all sorts of things, internally and externally. And so in this chapter of Hebrews, God doubles down on this idea of an unshakable kingdom. And by kingdom, once again, we are talking about the divine person, the divine presence and power coming and crashing into and onto our lives and our world and our situations. The kingdom is the person, right? The the places, the things, an earthly administration of God's heavenly ethic, God's heavenly law and mission in its reign and work coming on earth and over our lives. So we have this ongoing contrast and call throughout this book between the shaky us and in this chapter between the shaky us and our up and down world and and circumstances and the way we often vacillate and and believe and don't believe based on if it's easy or not or, or going our way and God and his kingdom. And in this chapter of Hebrews, the writer is begging us to come, right, to to give in to let in God's unshakable kingdom. So that though the world and we shake, we are held and hold to the one who is unshakable for us. And when this happens, when God's unshakable kingdom comes on and and for us and before us, we we, kind of see three things from this passage that I want us to explore. First, we see that we shake, we shake, before God's unshakable kingdom. Secondly, the world shakes before God's unshakable kingdom. And finally, and most profoundly, we'll see that the Lord himself shakes for his unshakable kingdom. Look again at verse 18 that was read to you earlier. It says that you have not come to a physical mountain. You've not come to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For for they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. After delivering his people from Egypt. In the history of things, the Old Testament tells us that God went Jay-Z 2003 on that, right? (laughs) With what I would describe as the original divine public service announcement to allow him to reintroduce himself as Jehovah, right? With more lights and sounds and unsettling bass than Rockefeller records and hip-hop artists Jay-Z could ever produce. This was the real and original Jehovah. And the Bible tells us that the mountain shook and the rocks quaked and the earth gave notice that, that God, guess what? He, he, he's special. He's different. He's set apart. He's perfect. He's Holy which means he's right in all he says and does, even if if, if we can't see it or understand it or reason with it. God is right if no one else is right. If he does it, thinks it, makes it, determines it, or designs it, it is right and true and good, and that includes the Ten Commandments. 
He gave to Moses and the people 5,000 years ago at Mount Sinai. His lyrics, God's flow, his words are just as holy as he was. That as holy God, he stands alone, solo, on the divine stage and the whole world is his audience. And as they interface with God, they quickly realize that we, as we do, God is holy. And here comes the shake, right? If he's holy and we're around him, we'll quickly realize we are not. God's kingdom and his unshakable holiness coming near to our unholy humanity, we shake. It shakes us. It disturbs us. It awakens us to the awful truth of our brokenness and our alienation from God and each other and ourselves. And the Bible tells us in verse 17 that even Moses says, I'm trembling, right? I'm shaking, especially after coming from, down from the mountain, from, from seeing the holy God, and he saw a people who were worshiping a golden calf. God said, I'm really scared for y'all now. <laughs> so this is what I want you to understand. It was not God's holiness that alienated them. We always blame God for being extra. And that's why we can't get with them, right? It isn't him and his being extra. It's us and us being extra, right? It was not that he was God and we were human. No, no, we were created originally to have a relationship with God. It was our lack of holy humanity, right? His holy presentation revealed that that day that we were out of space. Right, we were out of place, we were out of sync, we were out of step and out of proper balance. We were kind of orbiting in our own world as sinners and we've been done wrong and we've been done wrong. And when we were able to see the contrast as vividly as the Israelites saw that day, to be shaken like they were, to get straight blasted, if you will, like they were before God. I mean, I just, I'm looking back at this and thinking how it must have felt. Think about God's leash law, right? If the animal gets too close, if the family pet gets too close to the mountain, they done too, right? What kind of God is this? And back then, let me tell you about animals back then. They were more than just a family pet. They were the way folk got around. This is how you ate. This was your food, right? God shut down the grocery stores and had your car break down in the same week, right? <laughs> that kind of holiness, not to be confused with being mean, like anyone, it could make you a little, make you a little uncertain, make you a little nervous. There's, there's a quote in the Bible that says, don't, don't get too close. God might break out against you. What? Unpredictable, right? It kind of makes you nervous. Like, and taking one step further, it, it might lead you to live condemned and fearful and unsure about whether a God like that could ever be truly with you and have a healthy relationship with you and me. And with God promising to always be there, it shook them and Moses in what it meant for them to be a God with us, going with us people. Which is not a good thing when troubles come. It's not a good thing when the world is crazy. 
It's not a good thing in a world that gets shaky, right? If your trust in a holy God is based on your ability to be not holy, unholy or holy enough to make it work, right? Especially when things get tough or tenuous, right? You either be stuck trying to be religious and good enough and failing or irreligious, rebellious and running. But you'll never be stable if you're living in this continuous, he's holy and I'm not holy and I'm always afraid that I'm never gonna be holy enough and I'm scared of God all the time. Not that he isn't to be respected and feared, but to live in such a way, in this dynamic where you can no, not be close to your God. This kingdom thing at first didn't and doesn't seem so unshakable, so stable. But because God is holy, scripture tells us, history tells us that he remained committed to seeing this God in us. You're my people and I'm your God. To see this through in a fallen world relationship thing, right? And the story goes that God leads and the people follow Moses. They said, Moses, you follow God, you go see him and then we'll follow you, right? So the people follow Moses who follows God into the world and you can read the stories of the Bible what we saw at Mount Sinai from God defines how God's unshakable kingdom does and what it does in this world. Because it not only shook the people of God, the people of God saw the world they faced and live in shake before God's unshakable kingdom as it came. So the picture of God's unshakable kingdom at, at Mount Sinai that you see in verse 18 is in deep contrast to Mount Zion that you see in verse 22, isn't it? In fact, the writer of Hebrews emphasizes that at Mount Sinai, that things were physical, that things were material, and emphasize the central world and how those things moved, that it was loud and things that they could see, they moved, that they shook and submitted to what God was trying to do. Things have not changed. And I'm gonna be careful about how I'm gonna say this because there are natural disasters and political and national social movements that I want to make sure you aren't hearing me say, I know why God is doing that. Well, that is happening because of A, B, C, and D. Or this one's God's kingdom and this one isn't God's kingdom and I know. God's not giving me that kind of insight or you. I passed at a church, they voted on both sides of the aisle. It was hard. <laughs> I'm going in a booth and I know I'm voting for God's kingdom. Oh, really, God? Okay. But I will tell you this. But the Bible teaches that when God's unshakable kingdom does come in this world, everything else moves. Everything else melts and shakes. 
before in his coming kingdom. And with the experience of Mount Sinai, communicated that. It is in the way, right? If it's, it, rather, if it's in the way or taking up space the Lord needs, or if it's rise or fall can get a message across that he wants to send, or if it is a place he wants to alone stand as the only option, or if it needs to suffer or succeed or get elected or get ousted or be at the top or bottom of the proverbial mountain or the beginning or end of an era or popular or profitable or not, God's kingdom shapes and determines the very foundations and anything we can taste or see or determine or hear or feel or, or, or feed or inspire us, he has and he does and he will shake the world and submit it and cause it to get out of the way, to be used, to be resourced, to be harvested for his kingdom plans and purposes. That no one and nothing can stand in his way or the wake of his coming, present and unshakable kingdom. Which is good news, right? Well, depends on if you're submitted or, or subject. Or what you thought you were doing was God's way and he chose a different way. It's very difficult. And I think as believers, we live in, uh, we live shaken a lot of times we don't have to because we are so concerned about the way we think God's kingdom should go. And when it doesn't turn out our way, we say stuff like, can you believe? And oh no. And we send tweets and uh, texts and emails and oh no, the world is falling apart. And oh no, the culture is going to, to hell and all of this. And oh my goodness, we need to really get strong and, and we need to, to, to fight our way through or, or vote our way through or do this or be great, whatever. Like we, 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 we say these things about ourselves and this is what God is saying. My unshakable kingdom alone moves things. Sometimes I look at us, I'm the same way. I'm like, okay, if I wasn't a Christian, I would look at me and think, what's wrong? I thought these folk were on a one-way train to heaven. If you're his, let me assure you, if you're his or you're his people, there has never and will never be anything or anyone on earth, under or above the earth, that will stop the Lord from accomplishing and protecting his kingdom purposes and plans in and for you and for his people as you live in this unpredictable, often evil and dangerous world. Nothing is moving for or against or trend happening culturally, financially, you in this world or in your life that make God and his kingdom fall back or run back or retreat or ghost you in his plan in some way doesn't happen, which means through history, from the beginning, God's kingdom has not ever had a hard time drawing near to humans. He can go where we are and how we can, he, he knows how to reach us and rescue us. And you can't take that from him. And you can't take his place as God away in our lives. Let me simplify it this way. What the Israelites learned in large part at the mountain was a good thing. That our God is bigger and stronger than anything. Any philosophy or religion or distance and, and that our God can beat everybody up. That's what they learned. 
My God's bigger than any other God, right? That our God runs things, right? And we, he, not, nobody can stop him, not even us, right? Like you can't stop the work of God's kingdom in your own heart if God wants it to happen, right? Sorry, God, can't do it. Who are you talking to, right? But that by itself, hear me, does not make for unshakable security, comfort, and love that is necessary to live as his in this world. I heard a comedian say once that his dad used to discipline them and remind them of his place by saying this, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Right? And we laugh. I think it's funny. Especially since I'm a dad. But that sort of minimalistic statement is powerful in asserting the place, position, and importance of fatherhood. The discipline and the rights and strength that father has over his children in this world. The right to shake things up, to get things right, to discipline, to be daddy, and you be the child. I heard that all my life. I'm the, I'm the parent, you the child, right? But it is not enough to secure a child in a shaky world who have a shaky sense of worth and identity. And many of us have had that kind of relationship with our fathers and mothers or parents or authorities, right? It's spatial. It's presence. It's functional. But it's distant. It's respectful. But it's fearful. It's intimidating and it's driving. And sometimes it's shameful and it has some serious failings in and of itself, by itself. It leaves things half-baked and half-done and malnourished. It's, it's half there. That's why, you know, the, the Hebrews writer is kind of almost splitting this thing in half. There's Mount Sinai and the God we see here and here's Mount Zion over here. It, it, there's good things about my, Mount Sinai. God has not changed. He's still all-powerful. He can still shake a rock if he has to, right? God offers more in and for his unshakable kingdom. He offers more for us to be secure and secured in a world as sinners in a fallen and uncertain place or situations. Look again at verse 22 through 24. He offers us Mount Zion. Look at this. No, you didn't have that. You've come to Mount Zion, to to the city of the living God, the, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You, you, have come in the spirit, in, into, you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who, who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. You see these things that is mentioned here, the angels and all the heavenly drama? Those things only show up in the most intimate God spaces. If y'all see some angels running up and down, God's doing some things. But make sure you've seen angels, you know, not something else. 
Look, Mount Zion was a real mountain, historically. It's a holy place. But that holy place began to take on more of a metaphorical, spiritual meaning. And so it, it, it is a space where God is, where God's redemptive work is happening. And ultimately, Mount Zion becomes the, the centerpiece, um, the, the place where the heavenly kingdom is going to be one day when we go there in heaven. So it, it's occupied. Um, the, the, the space, Mount Zion is where God lives. And where God's people, you know, existentially even longed to be, but couldn't. And were fearful to go because God was holy. And they were holy. And they thought they'd get, you know, messed, messed up, right? We've already established that, that. That being all up with God, all in his domain and kingdom space was a scary place to be. But, but so that God would not leave them in a shaky, uncertain wilderness world. By all appearances, it just seemed like the people of God just said, all right, we're stuck. We'll settle for, uh, you know, and, and live with the Father God type who brought them in the world, could take them out that type and could beat everybody up, who, who was a good provider and came home every night kind of dad, a good dad. That's good enough. And they couldn't imagine or dare ask or demand more. But the Lord wanted, planned, and had more for us. Things have changed immensely. But growing up, I always had a fearful but close and present relationship with my father. I had an active, invested, participatory father in the house in my life. He took me to music lessons. I played violin. Started playing at age five. He played in the symphony. He took me to the operas and the performances and all that stuff. Went to the Gibbs Art Gallery, learned to do all kind of stuff. He was a good dad. Took me to school, paid for school. Taught me everything I needed to be successful. Yeah, you know, but I had this, some would call it healthy fear of him especially when it was just me and him. You know, riding in the car with him. You know, I'm just sitting there, he's driving, the news on the radio or something like that. I was so nervous. Just me and him. If the radio wasn't on, I was real nervous. <laughs> especially after maybe a performance, a game, or orchestra concert, or something that I was in, and I'm just thinking, what's he thinking, what's he thinking, what's he thinking, right? I would say, hey, dad, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, whatever. Like, I could just see he was dumb. And I would pray he would like what I said and like me too. It was too close and too quiet. And I thought if I said the wrong thing, I would get shamed, you know. And then, man, the den, his space. Where, where he would be reading his paper and I couldn't see his face. Those of you who are younger, you don't understand dad sitting in the lazy boy chair with the, with, with the, with the paper up. <laughs> and he would talk, yeah, da, 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 da. then put it back up, put his eyes over the top. You know, in the paper, you wouldn't touch that paper. Two things you wouldn't touch for daddy came home. Don't touch the newspaper and don't sit in that chair. And mama, the queen, was the enforcer. Hey, look, don't sit in your daddy chair. Get up, your daddy coming home. 
I just want to get the sports page. Don't me- you can't get the sports page out without messing the paper up. He don't like that. He like it fresh and folded and in the plastic. Leave it alone. Your daddy's the king. She would even say that. He's the king. I said, well, I'm the prince. And she would say there's only two royalties, king and queen. You don't count, right? But my dad would sit there in that den, and he would have on TV the CBS Evening News, Roger um, uh, Cronkite, not Roger, uh, Walter Cronkite, and then it was Ben Rather later, right, or something like that? Dan Rather, thank you, y'all. He'd be that, that'd be going in the news. How much news can you take? I remember my granddaddy, the only thing he would go to is the obituaries. Remember that, y'all? You get a certain age, it's like, he'd get the, he'd look through everything else, get to the obituaries. Oh, so and so gone. And he would, the first thing he'd do, I'm going, I know I'm going this week. He'd just plan his week after funerals. That ain't in the sermon, but I just thought I'd throw that in. It just reminded me. But he would be in that den, couldn't see his face. Him in the chair when no one else would dare sit. I just wanted to go down there with him and didn't know what to say. I wanted affirmation so bad. I was so insecure, y'all. Especially as a teenager, I was so desperate to be seen and known and draw close. And some of you teenagers just decided, when we were teenagers, we decided to go to our room and just not even try. And I want to be drawn close and have him tell me that he loved me, as corny as that sounds, right? Like I knew he did and hugged me. But I more than often chose and settled for affirmation from him through my performance and my success. But you know how that goes. The world doesn't cooperate with performers. The world lies, it cheats, steals, Don't play fair. Not with your struggles. Then we broken. We not the best. You think you're the best? There's three more coming, you know? We had an intern who lived with us. He used to have some cool terminology. Oh, love it. When something happened, if someone got told off or confronted or ripped on, right, or or exposed, if I had confronted the boys in front of him, he would just go, punished, right? (laughs) This deep voice. Punished, all right? <laughs> Kelly say something to the boys? He'd look at the boys, punished. <laughs> but he also had another word, that thing is so amazing. He would go, if something would move him or it'd be some profound thing, he would go, shook. <laughs> and you would get it, shook. <laughs> like me with my father, I could not shake enough to get the security and attention and unshakable feel in this world and love I needed to be healthy. To survive myself in my dark places and shame in this world and its challenges, something incredible and miraculous would have to happen. He would have to be willing to be shook and possibly punished and draw close, for me to draw close and feel secure in my world. Look one last time at verse 22 with me. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
into countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. I was talking to some, I'm going to say older perimeter members. They ain't old. They just older, okay? Dad, you're old. No, I'm just older. After meeting this past week, and the conversation went to grandkids, and boy, they glowed when they talked about them. And I shared how it seemed like my father, he changed when the grandkids came. Some of y'all have said and heard it, I don't know who this is anymore. We used to get beatings, not spankings, beatings, okay? I mean, I lived, I don't think I'm messed up. I didn't have to go to counseling for beatings. I mean, that was the 70s beatings too, but the belts that were that thick that held up the bell bottom. We got beatings. We got left outside in 90 degree weather. My mom used to say, if you go out there, you're going to have to be out there all day. You're not going to be running in and out of my house. Mama, I'm hot. It's 95. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. It's humid. Look at me. Go to the spigot. <laughs> Go in the backyard where the tree is. What? Okay. I know what hose water tastes like, y'all. Got that rubbery taste? Y'all know. It's warm. That thing be hot like you're drinking tea at first. Right? So, hey. You couldn't stay up after nine. That was the adult time space, right? You couldn't stay up and watch Dallas, right? You had to go to bed after Dukes of Hazard and Incredible Hulk. Nine o'clock was the adult time. You had to go to bed. Even if you weren't going to bed, you had to get out of there. It wasn't safe. But the grandkids. Well, some of y'all know, they have been a terror in the den at my dad's house, sitting in his chair, running back and forth, spinning in that chair, running back and forth about to break everything. And this space is not childproof. You can tell how angry I am. And when it's everybody, all three sons are home and all the grandsons, right, grandchildren, and all the grandkids are joining in to, as I joke with some folks the other night, joining in to destroy all I am in line to inherit. <laughs> Don't go near that painting. Don't go near that antique. Don't. What's wrong with Uncle Howard? The people of Mount Sinai, if they could look at the Mount Zion generation and, and thinking, what's happened to God? What's happened to his holy place? What happened to the holiness and the beatings and the fear? And we say to our kids, we the first generation, guess what? Y'all got it easy because we took the beatings and shame so that you can be treated the way you are. Like last week, Jeff Sermon talked about God's disciplines, those he loves. Well, my mom and dad must hate their grandkids. <laughs> Actually, I think they hate us because they spoil them and then we're left putting them to bed two hours later than they should go to bed, right? Anyway, there are times when the den space would get to us parents, but my mom and dad, when they looked at them, they were fine. In fact, they were more than fine. They were laughing. I would say, put these kids to bed. My dad would say, no, why? Because I just want to look at them. What? 
You just want to look at him, ha, 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 yes. You told me to get out your face. Then you want to look at them, right? This old man has been shook. He has literally cracked and been moved to compassion by the love for his grandkids. He is the same, but the Dan administration around him and with him is not. You see this mention of Abel here in the last verse, the first to be murdered in history by his brother Cain, and God promised this vengeance for justice for his death. And then you have the mention of the sprinkled blood of the lamb um, for those who would mess up and, and, and had to be, things had to be sacrificed. And all of that speaks to the why and what of the nature of Mount Zion, of being invited into and dwelling freely in a God space with the holy God. Hebrews is teaching that Jesus is like that first generation, the firstborn among many, that he is able, that he is the lamb, that he is a better Moses, that through Jesus in the work of God's Holy Spirit, the unshakable, immovable God himself shook and moved and moves and shakes in emotion and love and compassion. And as one commentator said, he shakes with dance and laughter over his children that heaven shakes with God's joy and the angels are joining in. For who and for what? For and towards the alienated and the arrogant and the broken and those who break things and don't know yet the value of this or that or what holiness is or who God is completely. It is better to say that the Lord God is unshakable in his act of loving and seeking and searching and leading and comforting us, but is shook in his passion and joy and pleasure for broken and scared and insecure and don't have the right words and ways or holiness to do it or get there. Here, he, where he is, those who are inheritors of his promise. And now like my kids, God's children can live with the unshakable confidence this lack of destructive shame to, to mess up. They can live without that and they can live without what, having to deal with what messing up means in, in destructive ways. They're free to be loved and learn to love. And when things are uncertain, daddy is there and they know they are in his sight and he won't put them out or put them away or put them down. This is an unshakable love and relationship that each believer is offered in Christ Jesus. You can't shake it with your bad behavior. You can't shake it because you, you can't pray good. <laughs> you can't shake it if the world shakes you. We can come to the God of Mount Sinai with the joy of Mount Zion because on Mount Golgotha, Mount Calvary, on a cross, Jesus, the able, the firstborn among many, the first generation, got shook. God in the flesh shook 
for the unshakable kingdom. He got blasted by the father for crossing a line as unholy with the unholy God, like the rocks in the ground at Mount Sinai. He was shaken with judgment that we deserve and should get. He got rejected and sent back and set down and overcome with disgrace and shame and doom and gloom. And he was canceled in a, by a divine cosmic canceling, Mount Sinai level to give us and meet us and love us and welcome us. Open us a way, open up a way for us to comfort, be comforted and be close and have the fellowship of Mount Zion. Not then, but beginning now. Are you tired of living uncertain? Are you tired of performing? Are you tired of trying to be good enough? This unshakable world will expose you. I'm sorry, this shakable world will expose you. But God's unshakable love in Christ will keep you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son, that you were shook out of love and compassion and mercy for us. And then you shook your son <laughs> with our sin and our shame so that we could be brought home, so that we could be at home with you. Help us to remember that when things get tough this week. Help us to remember that when we feel we have to protect ourselves and, 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 and guard and protect you, God. <laughs> Hold us again with freshness and newness as a child of God because of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.